Well, my name is Tom, and I am the pastor here for Congregational Care as well as for Missions. And today is our Missions Sunday. Uh, for me, I had the privilege of being able to take the Perspectives course. It was offered here in Fargo this year. The full name of the course is Perspectives of the World Christian Movement. I thought it would be very informative, but it ended up being much more than that. It was motivating. So as we begin this morning, I'd like to be able to share some of the verses uh, from Genesis to Revelation that focus on the world Christian movement, that it started way back when with the promise and it has uh, come to fruition through Jesus Christ. So I'd like to share a few verses and we'll start in Genesis where the very first hint of a promise comes. Uh, if you're familiar, uh, Adam and Eve have sinned and now it is time for the curses from the Lord to come. And so the Lord speaking to the serpent said, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There's the first seed of the promise. Things have been messed up in the garden and God has already promised deliverance for those that will come from Eve. But what will this look like? When we get to Genesis 12, it gets more specific. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples, see it there? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now I'd like to jump ahead to Matthew uh, there Jesus is talking about the signs of the ends of the times. And he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to, there it is, all nations, and then the end will come. Then moving on to uh, Matthew chapter 28. Uh, before Jesus ascends, he leaves some instructions with his disciples. And he says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all of them, not just some. And then I'd like to jump ahead to Revelation, where it speaks of a glorious time when there are a lot of people in front of the Lord worshiping him. John says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You know, and for, for those people from every tribe and every nation to get to the throne room, somebody's going to have to tell them the gospel. And that's the focus of the Perspectives course that was offered here in the fall. It provided an in-depth look at the spread of the gospel from the promise of the gospel in the Old Testament all the way to the proclamation of the gospel today. Sadly, there's not enough time this morning to share with you all of the highlights that I enjoyed about the course, so I will restrict myself to a couple of them that really compel and motivate me as I lead missions here at Salem. The first point of introduction, our first point of inspiration actually came from the introduction to the book. Chalk and all, yes? How many of you read the introduction to books? Not very many. Me either. Uh, it only takes this hand to tell you how many introductions to books I have ever read. And I was glad I did every one, and this one particularly. It was the introduction. Uh, this particular textbook is now in its fourth edition. 
The first edition was published in 1981. The fourth edition was written in 2009, so that's 28 years later. So this is what grabbed me in the introduction. So much has changed since the first edition in 1981. Then we were impressed that the task remaining was too big. Now we are impressed with how relatively small it is. The workers available then were primarily from the West. Now the workforce is increasingly from Africa, Latin America, and Asia. And third, the number of sincere Bible-reading believers in the world has almost tripled since then, and it is racing out of control with fascinating consequences. For me, this was eye-opening. I naively thought that how missions was in the past and how it is right now, and it will just continue to be, and that it's never changed. But over the last 2,000 years, it has changed, and it is changing now, and it is clearly going to be changing in the future. So this morning, I'd like to focus, first of all, on the speed of the spread of the gospel. So if we take a look at this map, it does a decent job of kind of laying out some perspective. Yeah, that works in the perspectives course, doesn't it? It gives us some perspective of what's going on. So if you want to highlight, uh, look first for the black spots. You're struggling, aren't you? It's very small. That's where the gospel started, and it's very roots. Um, that's in the first century, it would be. Uh, then if you take a look at the reddish colors, that indicates how far the gospel has spread during about the first 500 years. That's pretty good. Uh, according to their calculations, there are probably about 37 million people that have become believers. Now, that's up from zero, so that number really is quite impressive. But my goodness, after 500 years, there's still a lot of the world to be reached. Let's take a look at the next 500 years. Uh, you can see the spread. If you look at the orange colors and the yellows, uh, that's where the gospel spreads for the next 500 years. And yes, I imagine you're straining your eyes and going, wow, that really wasn't much spread. You're right. The, the square miles that the gospel covers in the world isn't that much. It doesn't grow that much. And also interestingly is, and again, I apologize for the small numbers, but the map does a nice job of doing what I want it to do. There aren't any more Christians. They appear to be dying at the same rate that their people are coming to the kingdom. And so it's rather stuck there than at the, 30, or the 40 million number for about 500 years. Um, the next 500 years is represented by the green, and you can see more of that. The gospel's getting up into um, more familiar countries in Europe. The numbers have then grown to about 75 million. And that's some good physical growth as well as numerical growth, but there's still a lot of the world left. So let's take a look now at the last 500 years. Uh, we'll be looking at the blues and the purples, and something that's helpful to note is that in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. That helped. You know, if you can't get to the North America and South America, you cannot reach the gospel. They cannot be reached with the gospel. So that really helps a lot. So we do see some incredible growth in the blue areas, but even more significantly is the purple area. 
The darker it gets, the later it is. And so the darkest purple is actually what has happened during the 20th century, that one that we just exited not very long ago. And the growth is incredible. Now, I realize the numbers are too small, but uh, the 19th century, they estimate there were 500 million believers. But 100 years later, that number has tripled. Yes, it would be appropriate to gasp. It tripled. One billion people, they estimate. The gospel is spreading faster now than it did in Acts. Seriously, numerically wise. Now, it's really cool what we you know, just experienced in Acts, but one billion believers in 100 years. That's amazing. The gospel is growing incredibly. The map shows this, and also the textbook I just read to you there, uh, they're indicating that it has tripled, and the number that they're looking at there, if I'm judging their words right, they're looking at the number of people who are Bible reading. Okay, so the focus here is on getting the word into their language. And so the number of people who are read, able to read the Bible for themselves, which also means they're literate, has tripled in the last 100 years. So, or in the last, I'm sorry, they said the last 28 years. So regardless of exactly how you count it up, the gospel is spreading incredibly, and that should be motivating. Uh, Wycliffe even has their own way of showing how things are multiplying. I remember in the early 1990s, I had the opportunity to go to a Wycliffe banquet, and there they proclaimed that they thought they might be able to get the Bible into all of the known languages by about 2060. That was really exciting. It's like, wow, it's that close? I mean, if Jesus is serious, and he tends to be, he said the gospel needs to be preached everywhere, and then the end will come. Wow, we're actually getting close to when the end could actually come. But then I got to thinking, you know, 2060, where will I be? Well, if not in the grave, in the nursing home. I'll be celebrating my 101st year of life. Uh, so, but it's like, so it's out there, and I may barely see it, but that, that's cool that it's that close. Well, now if you go to a Wycliffe banquet or you read some of their materials, their projections are now, thank you technology, that we might be able to get into all of the languages by 2035. I'm going to have barely retired by then. <laughs> And so with the end being that close, I don't see myself retiring at all if the end is that close. What's my part in this? So that's exciting to me. That's my first inspiration point there, is the gospel is growing fast. We have a part to play in this. This is amazing. The end is in sight. I mean, it's going so fast. Technology is helping us so much. It's like, you know, if we call this a gospel marathon, where are we at? The beginning? Nope. In the middle? Nope. We're at the end of the marathon. And if that's maybe a little too ambitious, at the very least, we are the ones who are setting the foundation for the final push. I want to be a part of that. The marathon is tough. It's kind of exciting when you get started, but you get to plug in along in the middle and you feel like you're never going to make it. That's, that's tough times. I see a few people who I know who run the marathon. They're going, yeah, those are the rough ones. But when you get towards the end, it's like, I can do this. That's where we are at. We can do that. 
What's our part? Let's get fully on board with whatever exactly our part is. Well, my second major point that I got away from the perspectives was about the spread of the gospel itself, the speed of the spread. Well, okay, better said, the slowness of the spread of the gospel. You know, we, here we are 2,000 years later, and we haven't made it yet. What's the deal? You know, let's say, let's say Jesus had his 12 disciples, and he did. What if each of those disciples did exactly what Jesus did? They took somebody, you know, 12 guys, under their wings for three years and sent them out. So after three years, now we have 144 disciples. Then what if each of those then took 12 people, hung out with them for three years, and then sent them out? How long would it have taken for them to reach the entire world? 24 years. It. Oh. You know, I look at that number and go, yeah, no wonder they thought that, hey, I think the end is near. I think the end is near. Jesus is going to be coming during our lifetime. We can do this. Okay, so maybe that was a bit ambitious. How about if we back it up just a little bit? What if we say, okay, one person reaches two people, they follow them around for three years, and then that person, they can hit the recliner, and the next two, they each go out and disciple two. Then they hit the recliner, and those four go out. How long would it take for the entire world to be reached at that rate? 90 years. Why has it taken 2,000 years to get to the place where we are at today? There are some barriers. There are some real barriers. In fact, Jesus identified one really big one. He said that there are going to be way more people walking that wide, narrow, easy path than there are the narrow path. So that's going to make it challenging. Also very challenging is we have an adversary. And sometimes he wins some battles. That can slow us down as well. There are a variety of barriers, but I found one particularly interesting. In the 1700s, missions was a very low priority for Protestants. Very low. How low was it? Thanks for asking. This is amazing. They actually believed, there was a well-established belief that Christian, that being involved in the Great Commission by Christians, it didn't apply. The Great Commission does not apply to Christians. How did they get to that point? Well, the best I can figure, and the way that it was described, it sounded like they took the sovereignty of God too far. Well, God's the only one that can reach the heart, so he's the one that has to do it, so we'll live our lives with Jesus, and God will just make it happen. And missions just went to the back seat. Well, in 1792, William Carey compiled a treatise entitled An Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathens. That title's too long for a newspaper, isn't it? An Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathen. It basically says we need to spend our time and our treasure advancing the gospel so that the whole world may know, that all the nations may know. So William Carey becomes uh, what's called the father of Protestant missions. He is the one that helped to motivate us out of our seats and get out and do something. 
because we have got to reach them if they're going to get reached. Well, that was great. But then some other barriers showed up. Because it, it was time, first of all, to go to some of these other countries, and like Africa and China were big countries to go to. And so the philosophy was, you know, let's go to the major metropolitan areas. We'll preach the gospel there, and then it will just, you know, it'll ooze into the country. So we're going to win China, let's say, by going into some big cities and getting the job done. Well, after a while, they began to realize that it wasn't spreading. It was almost like, shall we say, Las Vegas, what was shared in the city stayed in the city. It didn't naturally just ooze its way into the countryside. So there were some geographical barriers that you had to go over to get there, but even in getting there, there were some challenges. And so one of the things that then happened was they started new missions agencies for the express purpose of going to the interior of these countries. The most famous one is the China Inland Mission, I think. And the title says it all. We want to take the gospel to China, but we have to intentionally go to the interior of China for, in order for the gospel to spread to all of China. It's not just happening. Somebody's got to take it. And so they started going to the interior of China. Well, one of the things that I realized as I'm listening to this is like, oh, I understand what my great aunt and uncle were doing now. I knew that they had been missionaries for 20 years, and I knew that the mission organization that they were with was called the Sudan Interior Mission. My great aunt and uncle were pioneers into the Sudan. I had no idea. I already had a great respect for them, but all of a sudden that just ratcheted up another one. They said, we're going to go where no one has gone before. Okay, it's not Star Trek. But that's what I said, we're going to go there. And it was long and hard even just getting to those very first converts. So the gospel is not just spreading itself. Going to the cities was good, but it didn't ooze into the inlands. And so they start going to the inlands. But then after a while, they begin to realize, wait a minute. The gospel did not make it to all of the city. There were pockets of people, large pockets of people who were missed. And they were missed because of cultural differences, economic differences, and language differences. This reminds me of being in seminary, and one of the required classes that we had to take was evangelism. And guess what you got to do in that class? Okay, we sat there and talked about it for a while, but we actually had to go out and do it, especially the cold call kinds of things. So it's like, well, okay, I guess that's what we'll do. And so I have an interesting uh, conversation with this one guy. And so we get to the part about talking about Jesus. He goes, Jesus who? How do you live in the United States and not know something about Jesus? He had no clue. Well, this made it really clear. You know, there are cultural differences, language differences. People get missed, and he was one of them as shocking as it seemed at the time. It's like, we didn't even talk about how to start from ground zero with somebody who knows nothing. So that was a challenge, but also an eye-opening thing, that yes, there are actually people who do not hear the gospel because it has not reached them, even in the United States. Blaze Pizza gave me an inspiration for this point. I was in there one day, and I was reading the posters, 
on there, and um, they had some posters up because they were looking for help. And so their tagline for this was, these awesome pizzas don't make themselves. True, if we want these awesome pizzas, somebody's got to do that. And you know, the same thing is with the gospel. The gospel doesn't spread itself. Somebody's got to go. We have got to reach over these barriers, whatever they end up being. Somebody's got to go. How do we do that? What's my part? How do I go? People need to go. While the gospel has done, have gone to lots of places on the earth, there are still tons of places that it has not gone. Salem has a rich history of people who've said to the Lord, here am I, send me. We could dedicate several Mission Sundays in the future to enumerate the many people who have gone from Salem. I've got a file drawer full of names and applications from over the years. Lots and lots of people from Salem have said, send me. But I'd like to highlight a couple of them right now. First of all, I'd like to invite up Mandy and Chiago. Uh, some of you are familiar uh, with them. They headed to the field uh, last year, and they're back here in our basement. But it's a nice basement. And so I'd like uh, for them to just be able to share some about how it is that God called you out. Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Thiago. This is Mandy, my wife. And we have two boys, uh, Theo and Mateo. Um, Theo is sleeping, so we didn't bring him up here. Uh, and Mateo is at the nursery. Thank God we have help. Uh, <laughs> right now, we don't have enough hands. But um, our story of missions, I think, start first with our own journey with Christ. Um, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a family where my parents were strong believers and they were uh, always modeling to us what it was to uh, make disciples wherever you are. Um, so from a very young age, I got to hear about the good news uh, and to make a decision to follow Christ. But it was not until, I think, college years where I think I was challenged to, to follow God uh, wholeheartedly because um, I forgot to mention this at the first service, but uh, God was not even making, I think, my top 10 priority list. So I was doing very well academically, very well professionally, um, but unfortunately, God starts to become um, second to all of those things. Uh, but it was in, in a campus ministry intervarsity uh, here in town at NDSU, some men of God, one which is right there, uh, invested in my life and have shared about Christ's uh, priorities with me. And I think God slowly started opening my eyes to situations like this. I had the opportunity to be with international students that have never heard about Christ. And that just opened my eyes to the, the need that exists out there. Um, and it's just, yeah, for me, it's even like disturbing to think that so many of them will be born and will die without even hearing about who Jesus is. Um, so one day we were together in this uh, house where we had, uh, what's well, the pink house, I think many of you probably know, and we were praying for our friends and Mandy was leading the prayer that night and we were just friends and she was distributing these uh, people groups pages that we could pray for, unreach people groups, and she gave me this one, uh, which is the one we're going for. I don't know if it was intentionally, but that's when I started praying for these people. And I think God showed me the strategic nature of this because this group has over 200 million people, and really 0% of them are believers. Um, so it just, yeah, it, it's just disturbing the fact that it, it can happen in our lifetime that people will be born and die without hearing from Christ. So I start praying, but that was not enough to move me. Um, so I remember in my conversations in Brazil with my uncles and my family members, some of them believers, some are not, and they were asking me, why are you going? Um, and then the first thing that popped to my mind was like, well, 
it's like 200 million people that haven't heard about Christ. So I, I knew the strategic nature of that, but they're like, well, there's also a lot of people here. So I like, oh, that's true. And, and then I think is when I start seeing like the love of Christ for them, the love of God that has conquered my heart also and to conquer their hearts. And, and that is like the reason I think we start moving towards that direction. Um, and, and I feel challenged by my family when they ask, what if uh, something happened even to you, to your kids, to your uh, wife? And, and that's very, very hard. Uh, and we may not even see fruits in our lifetime there. So that is not the only reason we're there. But, but then that brings me to the overall reason why we go. is for the glory of God. It's like the, the God that created the earth has sent Jesus to die for them. Uh, and, and he gave us, his church, I think, the opportunity to be partners with him in that mission. So we felt compelled and convicted that this is what God wants for us as a family. And feel so privileged that we are set aside from Salem to be going there. So and that's my journey. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard to follow that, but <laughs> my journey is a little bit different. Um, yeah, so I came to know the Lord through Crew Campus Ministry, and before that time, um, yeah, I was living a totally different life, um, and God just really gripped my heart, took a hold of my life, and showed me like um, that He was real, and that um, this was His plan for my life, uh, to follow Him and to make Him known among other people that didn't know Him yet, and um yeah, I, my whole life I felt like I was searching for this meaning and purpose. So then when I found it, when Jesus showed himself to me, um, I just kind of, yeah, took off running that I had, thankfully I had people in my life um, to coach me and disciple me and I, that I was reading the Bible with and they encouraged me to go and share my faith with my family and share it with my friends um, and to share it with lost people on campus. And so that from the beginning, um, soon after coming to know the Lord, I probably, you know, hadn't even read, you know, very much in the Bible myself, um, uh, but I knew just enough I could share, like, my experience, um, my testimony, and how God had transformed my life, um, and I was sharing with people on campus, and my heart grew for these people that were lost, like, maybe, you know, they had heard something about Jesus, maybe not, but um, they were just broken, searching for meaning and hope for their lives and not finding it. And I was like, that was me just a week or a few weeks before. Um, and then the Lord, um, through crew and various experiences, opened my eyes, um, like, like the perspectives class um, and missionaries coming to speak at crew. He opened my eyes to you know, millions, even not billions of unreached people groups overseas that, um, unlike me, didn't have like a church or um, didn't have, I actually grew up having a Bible that I never opened, um, but that there was no Bible, maybe not even translated into their language yet, and um, no Christians in proximity um, to them, no crew campus ministries, um, and God just broke my heart for those people and, like, showed me the need to go um, and showed me through the Bible his call um, for us to go and make disciples of all nations, and um, so, yeah, uh, then Tiago and I met as I was preparing to go overseas um, as a single, um, and he highlighted specifically this people group. It's the largest unreached Muslim people group um, in the world, and so, yeah, we discerned that process of going together and God's calling on our lives to yeah, make his glory known where it's not yet, so we're going. <laughs> Two kids later, we're going. So, yeah. <laughs> That reminds me of uh, going off to seminary. I felt the, definitely the call, and we had one child, and so we're getting all ready, and all of a sudden, number two is on the way. It's like, 
wait a minute, is this? No, go, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. Well, thank you for sharing, and Lord, thank you for, the, for them. Uh, it's an great opportunity for us to be able to uh, partner with you as well. Let's give them a hand. Well, like I mentioned, uh, they left last year. They're back here momentarily and praying for no visa problem so we can get back here sooner than later. Uh, but God is also raising up another couple, so I'll invite Isaac and Nikki to come on up. Uh, they are just about ready to go. And so I've asked them also to share how God has been leading in their lives to bring them to this point. Hi, so uh, I'm Isaac Hale. This is my wife, Nikki. Um, we're on staff with Crew campus ministry and we are headed to Toulouse, France. Uh, we're hopefully going to be there in just a couple of months uh, pending you know the rest of our funding coming in and, and visas. So um, and a little bit about Toulouse. How many of you guys are familiar with Michael and Emily Gibbons? Yeah there are a lot for service too and so they're actually in that same area right now have done ministry there for a long time and we were just connecting with Emily uh, a couple of weeks ago on a video call which is really nice. Um, they were sent from Salem. So uh, but yeah, we're, we're going to France. France, uh, as you may know or you may not know, um, is very spiritually dark right now. About 1% of France is mainline, uh, you know, Protestant evangelical Christian. So imagine two, three, maybe four people in this room, if you were to look around, would be, would be Christians just percentage-wise. Which, when I first heard uh, that number, and, and when Nikki first heard that number, was heartbreaking. You know, you kind of ran through the statistics well, Pastor Tom, but, um, you know, numbers like these are, are very, have been very compelling to both of us. Um, and then also just the Lord has really drawn our hearts toward France um, and toward the, the unreached um, in, a variety of way, in a variety of ways. And I'll let Nikki kind of share her story in that. Yeah, so similar to Mandy, I came into college knowing about Jesus. I had grown up going to church and did own a Bible, um, but didn't really know what it meant to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Um, and so pretty early on into school, I had met some believers who talked about Jesus all the time. I thought it was a little bit weird, but I was curious because I was like, they have something, some sort of hope about them that was different than I did. Um, so I kept hanging out with them, and that's really where I, I heard what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus and what it meant to put your faith in Christ. Um, and so soon after coming to know Jesus, I was mentored um, and taught how to share my faith as well and was, was telling people about Jesus um, and even saw two of my friends come to Christ within the first year um, of knowing Jesus. And also... Um, the Lord had been working in my life even before I knew him personally in giving me a heart for France. Um, and I started studying the language of French when I was in high school and continued to learn it throughout college um, just because I thought it was cool and I had no plans to use it professionally. Um, but yeah, as I learned about the needs overseas and how Europe is very post-Christian and most people don't even know somebody who knows Jesus, um, it broke my heart because I had a personal connection and affinity for France. Um, and I had a, an exchange student in high school who was Muslim. Um, and so thinking, like, she's in college right now in Paris, and the odds of her meeting a Christian on campus, like I did, is little to none. Um, so a lot of people just don't really know, um, yeah, what it means to have a personal experience with Jesus. And so that's really where I was feeling drawn to France. 
Yeah, and so we met uh, two and a half years ago, got married about a year and a half ago, and really over the last year, the Lord has been kind of moving us toward France. And, and kind of my story in this, too, is a little different. I came in uh, to the University of North Dakota, which is where I first got involved with crew. Um, you know, I had I had actually grown up as a pastor's kid and, um, you know, had come to faith maybe at a young age, um, surrendered my life more fully to, to Christ um, in high school, um, but thought I knew the state of the world pretty well, and then heard a crew speaker pretty early on um, talk about, hey, 40% of the world right now lives in communities where there's basically no Christians, and so they have almost no chance of hearing about Jesus. And when he said that, I was floored. I was like, what? You know, and I thought, hey, my life is hard sometimes. And then I realized, no, it's not. There's, there's people who just don't even have a shot of hearing about Jesus, and someone needs to do something. And little did I know that I would be going physically and trying to address the need. Um, and France is a little unique. You know, they, they can Google. They have access to the gospel. But they're just indifferent. And, um, you know, as I, even before I met Nikki, started to think about, like, where might the Lord use me in the way that he's designed me? What strengths has he given me? And um, what does he burden me for? Uh, Europe stuck out to me, which is, you know, increasingly Muslim and almost entirely atheistic at this point. Um, and so God just was compelling me to. And so the week that I was researching a lot about European missions and how to go and stuff was the same week that I met Nikki, um, who I was like, oh, you know, she's kind of cute. She's going the same direction I am. Um, <laughs> and so anyway, that's kind of, long story short, that's how the Lord has led us there. Um, we don't have two kids. We do have a golden retriever, um, and he is coming. So anyway, that's kind of it. Great. Thanks so much for sharing. Let's give them a hand. It is exciting to see the way that the Lord is continuing to call out people here from Salem. Like I said, there's a long history of that, and that's continuing on. And as a mission board, it's exciting for us to be able to support them. Um, part of the challenge is it would be nice, you know, wouldn't it be nice if they just came to the board and we said, yep, we will support you 100%, and they're done. But uh, it doesn't work that way. I mean, if we were to do that and fully support missionaries, we could support two fully. But the Lord's raising up way more than two. And so we have to spread that around. And so they've got to go to other places as well. And but, um, we do support uh, as Salem, as a mission board, we, have, we do support them. But we also invite you to be in support of them as well. They do have a lot of uh, support raising to do. And uh, Mandy and Chago are well supported, but uh, they've got one more kid. And inflation is happening around the world, and so they could use some more. Um, Isaac and Nikki, they're getting close to being ready to go. They've got most of their monthly support, but it's expensive to get over there for that first time. So there are lots of one-time expenses that are involved there, and they could use your support there. Uh, both of the couples will be available out in the foyer after the service. You could meet with them for about 10, 15 minutes, and then we'll drag them into room 16. We'll provide a lunch, and they'll be able to talk more about uh, what it is that they're doing, especially Mandy and Chiago, because we, if you notice, their answers were vague. There's a reason for that. Uh, we cannot have, or we got, this is live streamed, and we cannot have that information out on uh, the internet forever for uh, people to find out. So if you want to find out more, you'll need to come to room 16 um, afterwards. But again, They've been called out, and the Lord is calling us too. We've got some barriers to reach out. You know, sometimes the biggest barrier to reaching people for Christ is the 
street in front of us. You know, lots of places, you, you just drive into your garage and you're done. And the you know, mixing up that we do with our neighbors is inhibited by the street, the needing to go out and do something different. So what's our part in that? Um, also here at Salem, one of the things that we're doing is we're creating a community garden. And the goal is that we'll have um, some Salem people who are growing things in there, but they're also trying to make a reach into the community back here. As far as I know, no one from our church goes there, and yet we want to be able to be a blessing to our neighbors. And so our hope will be that some of them come here so that the two of us can start to cross paths. There's also a group of us who are working uh, together to be co-sponsors for uh, refugees. And so we just about have a family identified that will be a family that we work with. And so we'll be coming along them as they move here. You know, in lots of ways, sometimes we have to go to the nations and sometimes the nations come to us. I mean, I think about France. There are so many nations coming to France. A whole lot easier to go to them when they come to you kinds of things. Uh, Man in Chicago, on the other hand, they are launching into where there's not much of anybody there. But whatever it is that the Lord's calling us to, we need to do our part. This thing is ramping up. We are getting close to the finish line. Let's go all in. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the gospel, first of all. Thank you for that person or those people that reached out to us that either told us about Jesus for the first time or called us to a deeper relationship with you. Lord, thank you for them. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be people who would then share that same gospel with others. Lord, help us to know what our part is. Father, I pray that you would give us the heart of Isaiah, who said, here am I, send me. Lord, open our ears, soften our hearts. Lord, help us as we desire to finish well and we desire to see you face to face, when all of the nations are gathered at your feet, at your throne, and are worshiping you. And all God's people said,